The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. You know, I uh, seem to have lost it. I wonder where it is. I know Jesus promised it. He said he gave it to me. But life doesn't seem to radiate what the Bible teaches. What is true joy? What is true joy? Philippians chapter 3 begins in verses 1 through 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is not troublesome to me, and is safe for you. Look not for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Right there, you've got enough messages for 10 months. By the Spirit of God, put no confidence in the flesh. The third chapter of Philippians is probably the most beloved book, beloved chapter in the book. In it, Paul sets many of the cardinal doctrines of the Christian life and unveils in stirring language his own personal desire to know and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting, however, that these doctrines included are not much for themselves. But what Paul is going to emphasize here is that they are literally to be an outgrowth of a challenge to the Christians at Philippi to be joyful. Philippians 3, 1 1 through 3 suggests that joy is found to the very large degree on sound doctrine. Therefore... The more you know Scripture, the more solid your joy is. Now that might seem obvious, but it's a reality that I believe is missed by the majority of Christians. Let's look, first of all, at joy and suffering. Because it's amazing for me to visit people in the hospitals or people who are struggling with ill health and see the joy that radiates from them. They're sharing their joy with people who come into the room, be it doctors, nurses. And in the midst of their pain and suffering, they want people to know of the joy that they have. Just this past week, I was visiting Alan Reed, who had bypass surgery. And you might want to please continue to pray for him. The surgery was a success, but there's some complications from it. And he's got a a little road to recovery. Uh, They replaced five of six arteries going into the heart. So, so please, please pray for him. But while I was there, this young gal, this nurse, probably in her late 20s, blonde hair, big ponytail, bopping out, she comes in the room all jumping around and doing her job and checking this and doing the vitals. And Debbie leans over to me and she goes, she just found Christ three months ago. And she said it loud enough so the girl could hear her. And, and he, she said, this is my pastor. And she goes, oh, pastor, isn't it incredible? 
It's incredible. I'm taking classes now. I'm learning. I'm working with youth. I'm going to be to summer camp so I can learn the Bible better and minister. And, she's, and I'm just sitting there going, wow, true joy, true joy. Now, the cynic would say, yeah, just wait for your first trial. But sometimes that's where you and I find ourselves. So at times like these, I remember that Jesus promised joy for those who followed him. In fact, if you recall, when the angels met the shepherds in the field in Luke chapter 2, verses 11, 10 through 11, they said, and the angels said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. We should need no more than that. Unspeakable joy is a Savior who has saved us from our sins. Unspeakable joy is knowing that there is a God who loved you and I so much that he sent his son to die to pay the awful price of our sins. What else do we need for joy? But then, John 15, verse 11, and we begin to get a hint of where I'm headed today. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Look at that. My joy may be in you. The only joy that rises up and defeats all the trials of life is the joy of Christ in you. And when you and I learn to rest on him and trust him in all that he's doing, that's where we find victory. That's the joy that allowed a man like Paul to be in shipwreck, to be whipped to fractions of his life, to be thrown in prison, to be chained, to say, I rejoice in God. No matter what happens to me, I rejoice in the Lord. John 17, verse 13 When Jesus was praying to the Father, he said, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So the clear lesson for you and I right off the get-go is if you do not have joy, there is a serious disconnect between you and God. Either you do not know Christ as your Savior, or you are living through your own joy and not the joy of Christ Jesus. Joy is the birthright of true believers. It was this joy that Paul wished to see in the little congregation in Philippi. So, so what is joy? Well, simply, joy is a supernatural delight in God and God's goodness. And it is very different from happiness. Every Christian virtue has as its counterpart in a so-called virtue of the world. For example, the world strives for security. They want to see it, feel it, touch it. They want to see the numbers in the bank account. They want to have everything for security. Christians have trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. And he is the one who said, I will supply all your needs. The world seeks for self-gratification. Christians know peace. 
the world seeks for happiness, Christians have joy. Interestingly, happiness is our translation of a Latin word, fortuna. Now, can you think of another English word we get from that? Fortunate. It is closely related to the word chance. Here's what I mean. If things happen to work out the way you want them to, you're happy. If they don't, you're unhappy. Happiness is circumstantial, but joy is never circumstantial. Joy is an inner quality of delight in God, and it is meant to spring up within the Christian in a way totally unrelated to adversity or circumstances or the blessings of his life. True joy reigns in your heart. True joy guides you every step of your life. True joy causes you to triumph when the bottom falls out. Instead of falling down, what am I going to do? You rise up and go, God, what are you doing? Instead of fearing, God, why did this happen to me? You hear, I've given it to you for a reason. I'm going to use this to bless others. Many people have experienced unbelievable difficulties. But when the joy of Jesus Christ is governing and guiding their lives, he always uses that to bring glory to himself. And instead of becoming the one who is struggling and defeated, you're now the one who is the conduit to tremendous joy in the world. And he uses that in an amazing way. So what happens when joy is gone? It's impossible to speak of the supernatural qualities of the Christian joy without saying at the same time that many Christians fail to experience this joy, or they lose it after the initial joy of their salvation. Circumstances get them down, and instead of the victory Christians should experience, they get down in their spirit. But this should not be. Instead of getting down, there should be a joy in the Lord that goes beyond our circumstances and quite frankly sometimes goes beyond our understanding. The peace of God, which passes all understanding. Have you ever found yourself rejoicing in a difficult situation and go, what am I rejoicing about? But yet you have that heart, you realize he's working in you in the midst of it. That is the true joy that Jesus promised. So perhaps you're saying, look, I know that I should have it. I know that I should rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. But circumstances still get me down. How can this joy be sustained? Well, I know this sounds very obvious, but let me give you some very obvious things this morning. The answer is God's Word. Pure and simple. And we must follow it as we would follow a doctor's prescription. The other day I went to see the doctor. You know, the hips bothering me, you know, pain won't go away, can't sleep very good. He goes, well, here, I'm going to give you this prescription. I didn't get to the, to the druggist fast enough. I mean, I beat it right there. I had to wait. But I didn't waste any time. Yet, when God says... Here's your prescription. How often do you and I just beat a path to this book to find out what it is, to get the relief we're looking for? 
Instead, most of us just sit back and wallow in our difficulty and our sorrow. Why me? Why did this happen? Why am I going through this? So the Word of God is the clear remedy. And it's a remedy that can be summed up in several different ways. Number one, become a Christian. Now, that may sound pretty obvious, but there are two classes of people that I want to mention briefly. The first class is made up of those who know they're not Christians, but they think they can find some way to God's grace apart from Jesus Christ. And if you know who you are, if you are that such person, you need to recognize that joy is supernatural, and it's only given to those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. The second class of person is composed of those who are not Christians but think they're Christians. Perhaps they were raised in a religious home or because they attend church regularly. They think they are Christians, but they do not understand the heart of the gospel and have not actually committed their lives to Jesus Christ. Hence, they cannot understand their failure to experience the fruit of such joy. Let me try to explain this as as clearly as I can. Before you become a Christian, you stand before God as one who has fallen short of his standard. You come to him with your good works. You have your own insights and all of your best traits of character. But as you stand before God, you realize that even the best things are imperfect before him. You hear God say, You come to me with all that is human, but what is human is tainted by sin. And that is a foundation upon which I cannot build. You need to turn everything to me. The Bible says that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. It doesn't say that all your lying, cheating, stealing are filthy rags. We know that. It says your righteousness. In other words, the absolute best that you can produce is still unrighteousness before God. And it needs to be given to him for cleansing. So you you lay these things aside, you count them as loss, and you come to the cross to receive God's righteousness. You say to God, I admit that everything about me falls short of your standard." And I recognize your verdict on it. I lay it down. I do not deserve anything from you, but I come empty-handed to receive what you have promised to give me through faith in Jesus Christ. I come to receive your righteousness by which I am accounted righteousness. I come to receive your Holy Spirit by whom I will have the power through him to guide me into all truth and to lead me where I should go. By our very being, We want joy. A genuine child of God finds true joy in Jesus Christ, in living his life, in real repentance. Apart from this, there is not only joy, there is not only no joy, but there's no Christian. True repentance is an amazing thing. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. 
Acts 11, 18 says, when they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has given repentance that leads to life. True joy only comes by true repentance. And true repentance, while the technical the technical definition is turning from something to something. You turn away from sin to Christ. But true repentance means I am nothing without Jesus Christ. And I will give up everything for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul is going to talk about everything he had. We're going to see this. Everything Paul had, all the things he had attained, his wealth, his intellect, trained at the best school at the feet of Gamaliel, having all the things the world could want, he counted them as dung compared to knowing Jesus Christ. But we live today like we're hanging on to this world for all it's worth and wonder where our joy is. True joy comes through true repentance. I come to receive Christ and to follow him completely. Number two, Righteousness and peace. If you are to experience God's joy, you must first know His righteousness and peace. This means that a life of holiness and trust are prerequisite. The order of these things are laid out in Romans 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So this is a very basic observation. But many Christians do not know the joy that could be theirs because their lives are not holy and they're not trusting God. We forfeit the very basic things of Christianity because we live unto ourselves. And in the most impossible situations, the hardest of heart, the one that will not turn, the one that will not cry out, when Christ comes into the heart, he makes all things new. All things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Difficult relationships are restored. People come to Christ and find the true joy he's speaking of. Sin keeps us from God, who is the source of joy. Anxiety also works against joy. Instead of sin, an anxiety in the heart lives and it causes the problem. But believers in Jesus Christ should experience a life of holiness and peace, and they should realize God's peace as they submit all aspect to them. Paul writes in the next chapter in Philippians 4, 6-7, through 7, Do not be anxious about anything. Very basically, stop worrying about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And notice that. He says he guards your heart and your mind. If you're not living a life of holiness, you're dropping your guard. When you're not living in true repentance... You are taking the guard of the Christ and the Holy Spirit and that protection, and you're throwing it aside. He will 
guard your heart. And when your heart is under the guarding hand of the Holy Spirit, you know true joy because you know you're safe in the Savior's hand. Number three, be in the Word. The more you study the Word of God, the more you'll begin to realize that joy is associated with a mature understanding of God's Word. Listen to what David said in Psalm 19, verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Talk about basic theology. The precepts, the very word of God is right, and it's so right that when you're in them and know them and understand them and feed on them and assimilate them and make them part of your life, it rejoices your heart. There's true joy. And then Psalm 119, verse 14, In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. And what the psalmist is saying there is when you have the testimonies of the Lord in your heart, it's worth as much as all the riches in the world. There's nothing in this world that can compare. Imagine going through life knowing you got the answers, no matter what this life throws at us. And then in John 15, verses 10 through 11, If you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, notice, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. That that just epitomizes the whole thing right there. His joy in me fills my joy with him, That's life. That's eternal life. And that is the joy that never, ever ends. That is the joy that goes on forever. So just like we teach, it's his spirit in us, living through us and guiding us, it comes also with his joy. True joy is found in a knowledge of God's character and commandments. And these are to be found in his word. And if you have not known much of his joy... The reason may be a neglecting of the study of the Scriptures. So literally, you know why we have Bible studies here? Do you know why we have a men's study during the winter and fall and winter on Sunday nights and why we have women's Bible studies and why we have Awana? Sure, it's to get God's Word. But you know the real reason? So you can have joy. We teach joy here. We want to give you the tools to go into life with incredible joy. We want you to have the joy of the Spirit that allows you to live so powerfully in a world that's crumbling all around us. But when you watch the news and when you hear what your neighbors say, you can go, oh, but I have great joy. Can I tell you about my joy? You can have it too. It becomes infectious. So what place should the Bible have in the life of a Christian? The place it should have is illustrated by an interesting Old Testament custom. Pious Jews wore small devices on their foreheads. They called frontlets. And you've probably read about this in the Old Testament. And what these frontlets were is they were scriptures put in this thing that was wrapped around their heads, and it kept the Word of God right there, right smack on their forehead. And they were always to have God's Word there. The commands were to wear frontlets occurred three times in the Old Testament. 
And in each case, the practice is related to one of the cardinal doctrines of Scripture. For example, the first mention of this custom contained a summary of the events that took place in Egypt's first Passover, or the first Passover that took place in Egypt, which illustrates the way God would later pass over those whose sins were covered by the blood of Christ. Exodus 13.9 says, And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes or forehead, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth, for with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. The first doctrine they were to have before their eyes was the doctrine of the atonement, the doctrine of salvation through which the shedding of blood had purchased. Think of the tremendous joy that you have when you keep that doctrine in front of you at all times. Think about that. Life gets bad, but I'm free. Things don't go to suit me, but I'm saved. The world's throwing all things at you, but I'll be with Christ forever. They were to tie these things to their heads so they wouldn't forget it. So this was very important. The second time frontlets are mentioned was to include a summary of the character and the requirements of God. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 8. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes or on your forehead. The third mention of the frontlets occurs five chapters later when God is setting forth the principles by which he will bless the life of any individual or nation that's obedient. The principle is obedience. Where there's no obedience, there's judgment. So after a statement of principle... He writes in Deuteronomy eleven eighteen, You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Obedience is to characterize all of our lives before God. So when you are constantly reminded of these things, when you're constantly in the Word of God, when you're constantly digesting it and studying it, it becomes a part of your life. You can find joy in every situation. The Word of God is power. It's peace. It's help. It's love. It's strength. It's joy. And having that and knowing it and understanding that is what separates the joyous Christian from the struggler. And it's learned through God's Word. So, how close are you to God? As you sit here this morning, knowing the immense truths that are not only promised, but are given. When you know all that God is going to do to give you unspeakable joy, how close are you right now to God. In this life, neither you nor I will ever master all the great truths of Scripture. The Word of God is inexhaustible, just like God Himself. And if our joy depends on such mastery, we'd never actually experience it. 
But instead, our joy depends on our relationship to a God who loved us with his life. However, if there is to be joy in the Christian life, and there ought to be, there must be a deep and growing experience of the basic truths upon which that life is founded. We must understand the nature of the atonement made for us by Christ. We must strive to know God better and to love Him. We must attempt to live obedient before Him as His children. Remember Adam and Eve. We've mentioned this before, how they had incredible fellowship with God. They walked with Him in the cool of the evening. They spoke with Him. They had relationship with Him. They named animals together. But sin severed that relationship. But when you and I accept Christ, that very relationship is restored. Now, he's not going to come down and walk with you and name animals and do all that kind of stuff. But here's what he's going to do. He's going to go, hey, here it is. You want to know me better? You want to know how to walk with me? You want to know how to have all that I've promised? Here, take this. This is my roadmap. That problem that you're facing this morning that's really got you tied up and you don't know what to do, answer's right here. Get in the Word and watch my principles come alive. Watch my spirit take it and apply it to your life. Watch me lead you through that deep water and you'll never drown. Watch me lead you in a life of victory. That pain that you're facing, that horrible experience that you went through, you weren't alone. I was right there with you. Here, let me show you. Let me guide you through here. When the child of God knows this book, there is nothing this world can throw at you that will steal your joy. Because all things come from Him. All things through Him. There is a great deal of unrest in the world today. And there will always be unrest to those who don't know Jesus Christ. Apart from him, there is no true peace. There is no true joy and no real happiness. This should never be the case with a Christian. If you're a Christian, you should draw close to God. You must feed on the Scripture Because the results are very clear in Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Do you have hope this morning? Do you have the hope that rises above all things? Do you have the hope that Jesus Christ is walking with you step by step in the midst of your fear. My sweet Lord will save you. He will raise you up. He will cause you to mount up with wings like eagles where you run and not grow weary, where you walk and you don't faint. This is who my Jesus is. And he wants you. 
And you may have professed Christ as your Savior at some point in your life, but you know for certainty He doesn't have you. Wouldn't it be incredible to walk out these doors this morning with a renewed relationship with the Savior of the universe? As we begin to prepare for communion, where we remind ourselves of what He did for us, would you just take a few moments and become very, very honest with yourself? Do I have this relationship? As the men come, let's just take a few moments in quiet meditation. Our Father, as we come to this table now, we're reminded of a love that we can't fully understand the side of glory. How one who created us watched us fall and yet loved us so much to come and provide a way to restore that relationship. I pray that every heart here this morning would be serious before you as we now partake of this bread and cup, a symbol of your death and resurrection. We ask this in your name.
For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you remember me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, 
you do show my remembrance. Let's stand as our custom and join hands and we'll sing a verse of this closing hymn. we thank you that when once we were blind because of your great mercy and love you gave us sight spiritual sight you gave us the Holy Spirit to guide us and you gave us true joy not our joy your joy imputed in us and I pray that you would strengthen us to leave this morning with that incredible joy but if there's anyone here struggling with the reality I pray that you'd bring them to one of us that we might speak to them and show them through your word how they can have great peace and assurance. And Lord, for all those graduates we've honored this morning, I pray that you would go with them out into the marketplace, wherever their chosen field is, and may they be representatives of true joy in a very dying world. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless.